I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the podcast that explores new ideas, Cam, wherever yep. we find them. We don't fear new ideas. No. We're actually fascinated by them. Intrigued, even. My yeah. name's Conrad, my regular co-host here, Cam. Yep. Now, we have to introduce, because people forget every week, you know, you know, that one new listener might not know who we are. So yeah, it's true. got to drop the names. Okay. We, now, w- when we come across new ideas... We can either call the person crazy, unfollow them, which yeah. often does happen. We've yeah. been unfollowed a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I watch my follow account very closely. Yeah. And you can either you can either unfollow, run away, and just go back to the echo chamber, or or radical idea. We can sit with the person, understand the person behind the idea, and connect with them. Mm. Beyond agreement, we're yeah. always just connecting with people. Oh, you're like me. Let's be friends. Yeah. What if you're not like me? Can we still be friends? Yeah. We believe we it can. Might be, it might be possible. We yeah. believe we can still be friends. Yeah. So this week, this episode, we are speaking to friend of the show, Liz. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Is it Liz or Liz? Friend of the show, Liz. 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 Okay. Oh. Your Instagram just says Liz, Liz. Milani. You're sending me I know. mixed messages there. <laughs> no, I know. I tried to change it. But there's a Liz Milani. There's a few Liz Milanis already oh, around. Oh, you need to offer them right. some dough. So. Yeah. Send through the right amount of money, please. I do. <laughs> I do. Buy that, buy that URL. Okay, Liz. Good, lucky I. Did I put Lizzie in the promo? Whoopsies. It's so fine. It's not a big deal. Sounds right. like a big deal. Okay. So, Liz, this, in this episode, we're talking to you. Because you're a heretic. Because... <laughs> You're a heretic, a, a heretic, and our clickbait was how I became a heretic. Yeah. So I guess we're saying heretics have feelings. Mm. They have a journey. Yeah. We want to talk we to have you ab- about your journey as, I guess, you're a heretic. We're, yeah, we're, we actually want to know, are you a heretic? But before we actually <laughs> ask these questions and get to know you, we have some judgments yeah. to get off our chest. Yeah, yeah. We, Ooh, we, we need to put okay. to you some of the assumptions that we've made about you just based on this title because that's what we do. That's yeah. what happens. Sure. It's natural. So instead of like telling my friend about you and saying I think these things, I'm going to put them straight to you and you yep. can correct me. Simple yes or no. Play along on Instagram. Send through your assumptions. and, Bring and we'll, it. We'll, we'll get a simple yes or no. No nuance. Okay. Done. We can, we can do that. You're a heretic, it seems. You're obviously a lost soul. Yes or no? Am I answering yes or no now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, ah. agree. Okay. don't agree well, with me. You're like, oh, answers. man, this guy's so harsh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's two answers to that question. Oh, I don't think I'm a lost soul. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So, but you must be like a bitter, angry person because, you know, Heretics are heretics. pushed out, and so you, you must be angry and bitter, surely. Like, uh, not too much yes nuance. Or no questions. Okay, I'm going to say no. No. Okay, no. Okay, All right. No, All right. no. Look, we forced yeah. her into a box. She tried to come back out. We just shoved her back in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, well, if you're a heretic, then you're probably a heretic to like the Christian tradition. So you're probably one of these 
open-minded new yeah. age universalists. Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's great. Right, yeah, I don't that know. One fits. <laughs> Shoe fits. Wear it. <laughs> okay, so you must be following dangerous ideas, um, and maybe even like perpetuating them. Like you have these dangerous oh. ideas, and you think that other people should think like you. You're leading people astray. Is that what's happening? Yeah, probably. Well, that's 50-50 Yeah, we've done really well If if anyone has their own assumptions Based on this You can just send them through And and we'll just We'll just put them them, Because it's better to just ask people Whether our assumptions are right or wrong Otherwise Otherwise we don't know So we've burnt half of them Nailed two of them Let's let's just begin now Liz, do you want to tell us Let's We're going to talk about I guess your journey into heresy Yeah Okay would you is would you identify as a heretic? Maybe or define is that a what label you, yeah. that someone has given to you, and and what does that mean? Talk to me about yeah. the nuance, as much nuance as you want around, like what's this label? Was it given to you? Did you identify with it? Tell me, talk to me. Awesome, because I love nuance. Nuance is my jam. So, um, I don't see myself as a heretic at all. Um, it it's okay. a label that's been bandied around about. You know, my I've been called it on the internet a bunch of times. Um, I'm sure I've been called it behind closed doors. I've been called it to my face. And it's probably mostly around the idea that I no longer go to church. I used to be a pastor. Um, I grew up a pastor's kid Mm. and there's a whole other story there. And I no longer go to church and I no longer believe a lot of what I grew up believing. And I no longer believe that you've got to go to church to have a spiritual journey. And I think for a lot of people... Um, that are involved in a faith community, which can be a really beautiful experience for a lot of people. So I just want to, you know, say from the very top, if I'm not anti, anti, and if that works for you and if it's beautiful, that's great. But there are a bunch of people that it doesn't work for or who've had, you know, some very debilitating experiences within the church. And um, I don't think that you need to go to church to be a Christian or to have any kind of spiritual journey that like springs from what people would call the Christian tradition. So I think Jesus would be okay with that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's go into your journey okay. then and say <sighs> what what led where were yeah. you? And then what, what you led believe? you yeah. to be lumped in the camp of a heretic? I guess yeah. it sounds like you're now outside of the Christian yeah. church, but still, do you identify as a Christian? Like, so... Would you say you're a Christian? I would say it depends who I'm talking to as to whether or not I use that label. And that might sound really watery, but yeah. um, it, it's, yes. like, it's like the name of God. A friend might call you a slippery a friend, eel. Yes, our friend might call me a slippery eel. But... Um, Yes. I, I yeah. definitely believe in God. I believe in something beyond the material. You know, I believe that Jesus was a, okay, is right. a person, was a person. Um, I believe that the Christ exists within the fabric of the universe. Um, but I don't necessarily think I need to label myself as Christian to follow any kind of path. Labels are really problematic. Right. And I think that once you label somebody, you're really being lazy. And so you can just label that person Christian. Yeah. And to that, to you, that means a whole bunch of things and, you know, a certain, 
a number of things that might not necessarily be what that person means when they call themselves a Christian. So, okay, right, so you're yeah. wary of what words mean to certain people. Yeah. You're saying, if I'm talking to one person, I might not use the word Christian yeah. because you have Depending certain connotations context. of yeah. that. Yeah. But when you're talking to somebody else, you go, oh, no, I kind of get maybe where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah. I'm happy to use that yeah. label. Yeah. Do you guys watch um do you guys watch Shit's Creek? We actually just started watching that randomly together. Yeah. We were like, oh, we should just start a TV show together and we're like, oh, we'll we'll give it a go. And we yeah. we've given it seven episodes. Cam's not sold on it yet. But yeah, we're yeah. familiar. Oh my god, with it. oh my god. It's like the best show ever. I love it. I've seen all five <laughs> se- like seasons. But um yeah, right. David, one of the characters, he's talking about his sexuality. But um, he uses wine as like a metaphor. And a girl Mm -hmm. asks him, I thought you were into red wine, but you've had white wine. And he's like, look, I'm not into the label. I'm just into wine. And so I kind of think that way when it comes to spirituality. Call it whatever the heck you want. (laughs) And, you know, to some people it will mean one thing and to other people it will mean something else. And some people might really need it to look this way and be narrow and some people might need it to be really wide and varied and crazy. I'm just into into the metaphysical. I'm into God. I'm into becoming my true self, journeying my own spiritual path. Um, being the best person that I can be. And if somebody wants to label that right. as Christian, that's fine, but I don't necessarily yeah. okay. need it but to But you're be not tied to it super much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and like you said, labels are lazy. I think that's a pretty labels good takeaway. It labels lazy. Thanks, I like it. So, you so, should tweet that. So you were, <laughs> you were a pastor, I, I, yeah. I, gather, I just gathered. So I'm assuming you were serving in a church. What type of church was, was it? How long were you there? And what led you to this point now. And pr- you probably also need to add into that what you believe now because what you've said, I can yeah, hear yeah, yeah. people saying, oh, yeah, I can see she was definitely heretical, but where did you come from? Like, what was your belief system before what you've just expressed? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll give you a real brief because it's like I grew up in the Australian Evangelical Pentecostal, you know, Assemblies okay. of God kind of framework. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said before, that might work for some people and that's beautiful and it might lead them to health and wholeness and that's fantastic. But my experience has been mm-hmm. a little bit different. And I don't think it was any one person or, you know, anything like that. I, I think that the, for me and for who I am and for, you know, the person that I am living on the earth, the culture and the system of it eventually was very detrimental to my health spiritually and emotionally. So I grew up a pastor's kid in this Pentecostal system and we lived Mm -hmm. and breathed church. Like, you know, if it was my birthday on a Sunday, it didn't matter. We were at church. We were there early. We left late. Everything was about church. Everything was about the church meetings midweek. Everything was about getting people to church. Everything was about getting people to tithe. Everything was about getting people to put their hand up and accept Jesus on a Sunday or on a Friday night. Right. And like I lived and uh-huh. breathed it. I went to all the conferences. I went to all the concerts. And is that like Hillsong? Is that the Pentecostal movement <laughs> you're talking about? Because there's only one You want in, me in to Australia, name names, it? don't you? You want me to name <laughs> names. Not, not well, of individuals, just organisations. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to be like. Because when you, when you put to me, and I bloody grew up in the world as well, when you're like, oh, I'm Baptist, I'm, I'm Episcopalian, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. confused. I don't know what the difference is. So I'm sh- a bit of a shorthand. It may, may have been Hillsong. You can label as no, no. many labels as you like. But 
It was or is definitely it well Hillsong Conference, and there was there was a conference when I was growing up called Armed and Dangerous, which was a Youth Alive conference that I lived and breathed. Oh, I went to for. some Youth Alives. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was all yeah. that like praise and worship, very charismatic, happy clappy, as some people would call it, word of faith type church. Um, but yeah, the, the the Hillsong brand of of church. So yeah, I grew up grew up a pastor's kid, and then um, I was just talking to another friend about this this week. But when it came to what I was going to do after high school, I actually got into study law at Sydney Uni, but I gave it up because my dad told me that God told him I should become a pastor. So I went to Bible college instead, and um, wow, which okay. was a really great choice that I. Yeah, it was a great choice. Is that sarcasm? Yeah, I'm, I'm picking up a lot of sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little sarcastic, but um, okay, went to okay. Bible college. Not a great choice for those out there listening. <laughs> not, not a great choice. Went to Bible college, became a pastor, served in my dad's church um, for a number of years. And then it came out when I was maybe 20, I'm shaking a little bit, when I was about 29, um, it came out that my dad was living a double life and had been ever since I was a baby. And he'd been a senior pastor since I was 12, but involved in the church Mm. ever since I was four or five. Um, And Mm. he'd been living a double life and and holding my mum ransom for 28 years and using his position in church to get women and perpetuate a position of authority. Like Like abusive power type stuff. Yeah, it it was interesting um, because I, he was actually a great pastor. He was a great preacher and he really cared for people. And I think, um, you know, if I'm going to be compassionate and look at it, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Objectively, I think he was really trying to do some good and he did do some good. But um, there was obviously some... Because that's the two sides that is hard for many people to hold, right? Like yeah. The, yeah. The, the people do certain things and people want to just go, okay, well, because they did that, then yeah. everything is in yeah. the light of that one thing. Yeah. When you can, yeah. you can be like a great athlete and like a serial womanizer on the other hand, yeah. uh, like yeah. both things can be both true and it's very difficult to hold those two. Both things can be true at the same time. Yeah, very difficult to hold those two. And I would say up until that point, I was still very much, yes, church is the answer. Every community needs a church. People need to be in church. Um, But that was where the cracks started forming for me. And it wasn't because my dad turned out to be, you know, what we found out that my dad was doing what he was doing. It was more the response that I encountered and that my family encountered around this time. I'm feeling very, like, shaky just because it's such a personal story. So, um for sure. Thanks so much for, sh- for sharing it because I think okay. we, I've personally come across a lot of people who've had a similar experience yeah. and it's very, yeah. like, it's obviously such a hard thing to talk about because you're, you're talking about a world that, I mean, still exists, yeah. people you know, you're close to, you cared about, yeah. but then also a journey of hurt you've gone on yeah. and to be yeah. able to talk about it allows people to go, yes, that was me. I've experienced that as well. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for, yeah. for doing it. You're doing Aww. a great job. Yeah. You guys are awesome, and um, it's not—it's yeah, not an so, easy thing to do either. So yeah, exactly, definitely respect <laughs> that. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, no, it was—it was interesting. So the the way that we were treated after that moment was where the cracks started showing. 
um, and not not so much in my belief in God. I'm a very I'm a number four on the Enneagram. If you guys know the Enneagram, so I'm a deeply feeling person. Um, okay, right. It doesn't take me much to engage my imagination. Like my husband is straight science. He's like where's the data i want yep. you know that cold hard facts yep. and i'm like oh yep. can you feel that like i can feel yeah. all this stuff happening. <laughs> like, so, what are you talking about i can't measure it <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so i'm a very deeply feeling person and i suppose around the time that all that stuff was happening with my dad was when i started to feel like the cracks start in the system that my life was upholding and it took a few years oh. but it became very apparent that my life was um, considered collateral damage in a system that I wasn't sure was achieving what it said it wanted to achieve. Because here I was, someone broken, someone who'd been through a really terrible experience within my personal family. So when all, when all of that happened with my parents, they were senior pastors at the time, but they lost their jobs. Of that um, church. So yeah, what was the reaction of the church once it came out? So they're obviously seen, senior pastors. Did they just like give yeah. them the flick and be like, you... You've sinned you've publicly, and you're, you're uh, yeah. I guess a pastor's a, a figurehead of like. Yeah. I mean, we're all we're all sinners, but it sounds like in one yeah. sense they're like, yeah, we're all sinners, but now you, you can't be a pastor. You're fired. Kind no, of. You can't yeah. be a pastor. Look, it was it was a crazy time, and it's you know it's easy to look back on it and and treat it like fairly dualistically. But when you're in it, and when it was happening, things were changing every day. So you know, at the uh -huh. beginning. Um, there was a move towards reconciliation and restoration and yep, I did the wrong yep. thing and I'm going to, you know, stick this out, but that didn't end up happening. And so I think right. the reactions changed. Like I don't, everybody's human and everybody reacted in a very human way, but overall mm -hmm. from a, from an institution that says that they're here for broken people, I just don't think they were there for the brokenness that existed within my family. My mum, I don't know if I should say this, I've got to be a little bit careful, but my mum didn't get <laughs> one phone call <laughs> from any of the oh, pastors wow. that we knew, like, you know, they knew pastors far and wide. A few of them contacted yeah. me, but yeah. none of them contacted her. And so they yeah. lost their jobs. So overnight they lost their reputation. Do you think there was like any sub subconscious like blamed to your mum or something i don't know like oh. is, do, you, do you think there's a reason why she was cut out of the loop or like complicit i don't know i'm just trying to like I don't know. oh my gosh where do you want to go with this because i i do think it's a very patriarchal system uh -huh. our current model of church it's it's very heavy or you know has a lot led. of patriarchal culture in it, but not even just male led. Because I think in the Pentecostal church, there's plenty of female leaders. I mean, I was a female pastor in in this church. But when it comes to when it comes to that kind of thing, um, sexual sin or anything that reeks or anything that unveils our gender, even you know anything that even sniffs of anything to do with with our sexuality, I think women definitely are treated with shame and they don't it's not not even so much that I, I just think it's a really unspoken we don't know what to do about this we don't know how to talk about it we don't know how to fix it we don't know what to do with it we don't know like it really disrupts people's idea of what christianity is when your pastor falls i think it really disrupts 
the idea that's preached that, you know, God is the answer to all your problems, that, you know, just say yes to Jesus and your life is going to be great or, you know, you're going to have someone with you to hold your hand. I think it really disrupts that idea that Jesus is what you need when your pastor's family implodes, even though they had Jesus. So I think it's more like uh, we don't know how to deal with this. We it, it's It's uncomfortable. It's disruptive it's shameful so we're just going to not talk about it and I think that's more what it was than anything else I think people just weren't quite sure um, what to say what to do and what the appropriate response was or, or should be so from a system that you're saying claims to help the broken find the lost look after people from this experience yeah. of someone going through something obviously causing damage to other people but also recognizing obviously that that must be a result of an inherent brokenness within that person yeah. you found that system not just kind of casting out the brokenness rather than i guess including it and then you were yeah. the carry on collateral damage of the yeah. The cast out of your dad. So now talk to me about how you, how, what your experience was, because you didn't do anything. You're just, you're just a, no. a pastor at this church and you're yeah. genetically related to this person. What was your experience yeah. then? Well, I'll just, um, I'll preface it by saying, I don't know that it cast out is, is a more accurate kind of um, definition would just be ignoring because nobody cast us out, nobody cast my mum out, but there was a level of, we're just gonna pretend that this didn't happen. We're just gonna ignore it. We're gonna say, hi, how are you? I'm praying for you, but we're not gonna get down in the dirt and figure this out. So there was, um, yeah, I think, and I think that's actually more dangerous. I, I think that that's actually more painful because there's no, there's no line. There's no delineation between, no, you're unacceptable, you're acceptable. There's just nothing. And I mean, what do you do with nothing? Nothing leaves people feeling very unsafe and very unprotected. And I think that's how I felt. I mean, I was, you know, in the first few months, it was very much after after mum and dad, you know, they divorced. It was a very messy, <laughs> very terrible divorce, um, you know, which isn't completely my story, so I won't tell it all. But, um, you know, very messy, very sad. There was a lot of crying. I had a newborn baby when all this happened. So my eldest, who's 10 now, he was four months old at the time. Um, and I was sort of, yeah, more treated with this. We're not going to talk about the problem because we've got a church to carry. We've got a church to fix. We've got new pastors to find. And I know you're hurting and you're broken, but we're going to get to you later. That was sort of how we were handled. And, um, you know, it was, it was suggested to us a few times and I know that it was said to us out of care because, again, this is a culture problem, not a person problem, but it was said to us out of care, you know, there's not a church that's going to hire you in Australia, so be prepared to lose your jobs and be prepared to find a new career. So they so, were openly saying to you, even though you didn't do anything, they were recognising, yeah. it's not like they were the ones... Like, were they the ones blacklisting or were they saying, we know how the system works yeah. because you're genetically related to someone who did something sinful, yeah. even though, quote unquote, we're all sinners, you won't get a job. Because you've got that same last name. No, let me tell you what it was. <sighs> okay, let me tell you what it was. I'm a little bit nervous. 
that I'm being. Whatever you want to say. We're happy. Whatever. <laughs> what it was, was um, it really had nothing to do with my dad. It really had to do with you're hurting and we don't have the time or the money to handle your hurt. We need pastors who are on the ground and ready to go. Oh, right. And soon enough, the I, that's sort of how yeah. it was. All the messages yeah. to me were, we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to know about it. You're going to be messy. Not that I'm contaminated with my dad's sin, quote right. unquote. Yeah. But yeah. this right. is, we recognize that this is a traumatic experience, but we don't have the money, the time or the, you know, the capacity to journey that with you. So you essentially, your, your, your position is to be that like solid rock foundation for yeah. your church community. Oh, yeah. and, you could, oh, yeah. and, then, and they're looking at you saying, well, you can't do that because you need time to grieve. And you're like, I can't yeah. do that because I need time to grieve. And so they're like, all right, well, you're out. <laughs> this makes me think of like, I didn't, I actually didn't even expect to, yeah. to have you kind of approach it from that angle because this yeah, is very interesting yeah, yeah. to me this is this seems like a strategic business move yeah. this looks like it's not it's not people like being relics in their things of sin and yeah. like the sins of the father this is this is a purely calculated capital driven decision saying we are essentially a business or a church in our business of saving souls and maybe making money too yeah you are not an asset we can invest in for our business moving forward it like if if i put that scenario next to a business doing that being like sorry mate we need a ceo that can deliver results yeah. that's not you yeah. sounds like to me it sounds identical do you yeah. think that's a fair correlation it is it is a fair correlation um but I will say again, and I, I can't stress this enough, it's a culture problem. I don't think any one right. pastor yeah. like my friends who were on team with me at the time, if they heard me talking like this, they would probably object. They would probably say, hey, no, we love you. No, we were there for you. Yes. It yes. was definitely a culture mm. system problem. You know, it, it's right. pointing at a system, not individuals. Yeah, not an individual. Yeah. And I, you know. The system says it's about an individual, but the system needs people to lose their individuality to uphold it. And that's definitely right. what I... Tweet that too. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> it throws me off. Um, but it definitely, it definitely needs people to do that, to uphold yeah. their message. Um, but also, you know, they. I think that... They genuinely or it genuinely thinks, the system, the church, the culture genuinely thinks that, you know, seats, uh, bums on seats in church on Sunday is mm. end goal. Like that's that's metrics. what we want. That's yeah. what metrics. we need. Measurable metrics, yeah. That's the thing. And I think that's, you know, around this time when all this was happening and like it, it look, when you're in it, and I'm sure you guys have gone through shit yeah. in your own lives, when you're in it, it isn't so cut and dry, Right. It's sort of all unfolding as it unfolds. Oh, and it yeah. took quite a few yeah. years um, for it to completely unravel and for me to go, oh, I'm actually a pawn here. I'm not a, wow. yeah. you know, I am, I am loved, I am seen, but I'm actually not loved and seen. If me yeah, being yeah. loved and seen, yeah. you know, puts a, a, a peg in the spoke of the church wheel kind of thing. So, so bring us to the, the deeply personal level that you are uh, existing on. You've got, you, when you're looking back on hindsight, you're like, wow, I can see how a system 
has kind of created the scenarios for people to act in certain ways, pastors to value certain things and decisions to be made. Like, um, but then on this like deeply personal level, you've also got, you, like you're saying, when you're in it, you can't see that picture. So what was it like for you to be on the ground level? For, like what was your journey going through? Obviously, this thing that seemed to stay the same was you didn't feel seen, you didn't feel like you didn't feel like you were being loved or accepted. The platitudes were there, but there wasn't the actual yeah. feet on the ground sort of thing. Well, it, it, beca- it, was, it was a slow burn, you know, and when that first happened with dad, and actually I, I will say this, you know, in the first week after it came out that my dad had been having affairs and was doing all of his things, um, it, it all happened when we were all on holidays. And so Jesse and I found out on a Friday, but we didn't tell any of the church board till after the weekend. Um, because my mum and dad were away on holidays and we thought nobody needs to know. We just need to pull the family together and be with each other and figure it out. Keep it personal before we spread it. And it was suggested to us by another pastor that we were actually keeping it secret so that we could use that information to our advantage and um, become the senior pastors of the church. And it was so rather than being, they thought it was a power play. So one of the very first things. Very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that was, you know, considering that was one of the very first messages we heard when something very traumatic and disruptive in my personal and professional life happened, I started to think, hang on, is the message I'm preaching the message that we're living? And so from there, it just really slowly unfolded. And for the first little while I was like, yes, yes, no, I've got faith. It's, it's, people are human. And like people often say, the church is full of humans. No church is perfect. I'm like, yeah, that's so true. No right. church is perfect. It's yeah. full of humans, you know, yeah. um, and it's okay. We can handle it. I'm bigger, th- I'm bigger than that. I'm big enough to absorb it all, you know, and yeah. but yeah. little things just happened along the way and slowly and surely my confidence just got etched away until I found myself probably about four years after all of this happened with my dad. I couldn't even recognize myself. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror one day just going, who the, who the F are you and what are you doing with your life? And I would go to church on a Sunday and honestly, it felt like the biggest waste of my goddamn time and my energy. And I, I grew up a PK. Yeah. I grew up lining up for front row seats at conferences. You know, like I went to a Steve Grace concert when I was 10 and thought it was the best thing in the world steve grace is like an australian country gospel singer most kids are excited about you know i don't know other people but i was excited (laughs) about all these christian things and then to find myself in a place where i was like you know what i just i just don't know was really confronting for me i don't know if that answers your question but it was just like a slow burn i felt like i slowly got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until i was hardly even there anymore some people might interpret this as trying to like pull down the church, uh, you know, the, the church empire. But I also think it's also very important for people to, I don't know, I, I think like it's something that is hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about because I'll tell you what I, what I think is this. I think the church has become a little bit of an idol. 
it's sort of like with politics i think that there needs to be a place where people can complain where people can argue where people can say hey i don't think that's right like i think it's really healthy in a political discourse when we all get together and we say what about this what about that hey i don't think you should do it that way i think you should do it this way and you're not considering those people and you should a lot of people go oh that's just a whole heap of wasting time and i'm like no that's just the work of living together with people and i think the church is a little bit like that i think we've created this system that is like untouchable so if somebody says oi that was shit and it should not have happened I think the system isn't able to absorb the criticism and um, because it's afraid, I don't know, is it a house of cards? Who knows? But I think for some people it is. For some people, they will stand by that, that house to the detriment of their own bodies. I don't yeah, know. So in, in some way, you, you, what, what I'm hearing you say is that the continuation of the organisation is paramount above all all other things and it can't be challenged in any way shape, and you're or form. also you're also highlighting the importance of um the importance of when so people might listen to this and they might listen to you and say oh liz is just bitter and that she's just trying to bring down the institution that that hurt her i'm so but not you're, you're saying <laughs> so not interested in that is an important space because like you're saying, anything that is above critique quickly turns into an idol. And like, to be able to 100%. critique something, whether it be the church, whether it be a specific theology or a doctrine or something, yeah. you're kind of saying that this is part of the process as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I completely 100% believe that. I mean, even when you look okay. at the biblical text, the Bible, it's very much, it's a Jewish text. Most of it is a Jewish text. Right. It was written yep. by Jews. It was written in the context um, of a Jewish faith. And so what they used to do with scripture was wrestle it out. They used to argue about right. it all yeah. the time. They used to sit in their little circles. The rabbis would come together and they would say, the scriptures mean this. And someone else would say, ah, heck no, they mean this. And yeah. they would, everything yeah, yeah. was right. Everything belonged and it all mattered. And I think what we find these mm. days is that there's such a rush to be big. There's such a rush to have, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know what the rush is for, but rather than do the mm. slow burn of inclusivity, and inclusivity isn't just about everybody's welcome, which a heap of churches bang on about, but not many actually mm. live. Like I, yeah. other ideas have to be included. Other ways of doing mm. things have to be included. But I think a lot of that is mm. sacrificed because... There's this culture of, you know, the church needs to be big and bright and beautiful and hopeful and wonderful. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it actually doesn't leave a whole lot of room for, for nuance. So I'm not, anti -ch I'm not anti church. So, like, I think if it works no. for yeah. you, yeah. that is great, yeah. right? But there's a yeah. bunch of yeah. people that it doesn't work for or who have experienced, you know, things like mm -hmm. I have in church. Yeah. And we leave and we do our own thing. And that is seen as heretical or that is seen as something that's not valid. And I'm like, you know, right. especially in Australia, I know in the States, because with my work through the Practice Co, we have a lot of, like a lot of our community is in the States. And there's a lot of places in the States for people outside of institutionalized religion to come together and, and be together and have these kinds of discourses. But here in Australia, for some reason, we seem really unable to do that. We seem very intimidated to have a spiritual adventure outside of a sanctioned community and I suppose that's what I'm trying to give permission for and by saying that 
these problems exist if you come up against these problems in the church within your experience because a lot of people won't but some people will there is a place that you can go there is a life that you can live that can be spiritual you know you have permission to explore that outside of the church and it doesn't make you bad or heretical or like on your way to hell if you decide to do that I definitely I would say I definitely my deconstruction probably wouldn't have begun unless I had faced some kind of traumatic experience Um, but that's where the rubber hits the road right I think that um, at some point in our lives we're going to face trauma and we're going to face hardship and whether we like it or not you know through every kind of religious setting I suppose or, or non-religious setting in secular areas as well it's the the traumatic things that happen to us that that have the power to change our minds or to shift our consciousness whether we um, are conscious about those shiftings or not and I think for me there definitely was a moment where I could have swallowed it all and I could have done you know what I'm going to stick with church and I'm going to stick with this thing it definitely would have been more comfortable for me at the time to go no I'm going to put I'm going to use the lingo put my faith in Jesus I'm going to shut up and wait for my miracle um, and rather than allow my faith to unravel in the direction that it was unraveling but I really had to trust it's funny because what the church or not the church what you're taught to do is to trust and to believe and to have faith but whenever I trusted and whenever I believed and whenever I had faith I I felt So forgive my mysticism when I explain it, but I felt myself moving in the direction of deconstruction and I felt like to go to hold the party line and to continue doing what I'd always done would be to hide and ignore and pacify what was really going on in my own life. To show up to what was really going on in my own life, I really needed to let that deconstruction begin and trust that God, the divine, the source, the thing that got this whole thing started that holds it all together was in my deconstruction. And I hate to say the word leading because I don't know that I was led, but that's the path. That was the path for me to take. And like, I think if we can demystify deconstruction because it's become such a buzzword, um, everybody deconstructs everything. I mean, my kids deconstructed the wiggles when they turned seven and eight, you know, they were like, Once upon a time, the Wiggles was everything and now the Wiggles suck and they're into other things. So we all deconstruct and if we could demystify, you know, and and try not to demonize deconstruction and see it as a really natural thing that happens as we live our lives. I mean, at some point, single people, when they get married, they deconstruct their singleness to co-join their lives with a partner so there's we're always deconstructing and we're always shedding our old ways to become or to walk into the new things that life brings us we are talking about something that's very like personal for you and has been like a really like really hard and traumatic thing to go through and i and i want to you were talking about the situation with your dad and how the church reacted to it and from what i'm hearing from the perspective you sit now, you're talking about how a system created this behavior of everyone around you that they may not be aware of either, but it dehumanized you. It didn't provide you the support. It didn't show you that you were loved. And then you looked at that system and that trauma then let you look at that system and say, 
this system isn't big enough and it isn't working for yeah. me. Yeah, I, yeah. W- I would say that's an accurate place to land. <laughs> okay, good. Good. That's Excellent. that's my goal. Try to <laughs> try to try to sum it up. So then yeah. that trauma then seems to be the thing that exposed the limits of the system you were within. So sure. so then what? You you were in this system, you felt outcast, you felt unloved, you felt rejected, you felt ma- like did you feel trapped because you're a pastor at this point. Yeah. Your your, your paycheck comes from yeah. subscribing to this belief set and endorsing this belief set and getting bums on seats within this belief set. What what then? Like what's that like? Well, my husband's paycheck came from it too. So we were both pastors and oh, wow. yeah. I felt enormously trapped. And I think for a long time, um, I don't know if this is a great analogy, but it was just like a really bad marriage. Um, <laughs> and because you believe that marriage is, you know, you don't get divorced, you try and make it work. And I just tried to make it work for a good few years there. And so did my husband. He, like, I won't talk, speak on Jesse's behalf particularly like because he had his own journey with it but I know that he would you know he did the same thing we just both tried to make it work um until we couldn't anymore and it was just you know we were so it sounds really trivial to say we were so unhappy but we were just we were like shells we were so unhappy um in every way can you put it in in the most personalized form possible like you would go to church and what was those experiences or those interactions that you would have that ultimately culminated in what you were feeling? Mm. We love the people. So we would go to church and we were campus pastors right up at the end when we decided to um, quit our jobs. And let me just say then, when we quit our jobs as pastors, we didn't realize we'd be quitting church. We thought we'd be back in church. We just thought it was right. our role as pastors that wasn't working for us. Can I just clarify really quickly... When you say I'm a pastor, some people might be unfamiliar because like I grew up in the Adventist church and we only generally have one pastor and he's generally a middle-aged man and he re- he does sermons and stuff. And so that's what some people might imagine the pastor, yeah. but it sounds like you're okay. coming from a bigger yeah. church, perhaps a mega church of a some church. description. And you got lots of pastors, like two pastors, Maybe. a music pastor, a worship pastor. Like how does it work in that yeah. world? Because I'm unfamiliar. Yeah. It was that kind of situation. So we'd have my parents when they were pastors were senior pastors. That's what we we called them. And then underneath them were pastors that, you know, you might have a pastor overlooking a campus, which was would be like an area, a church that was in an area. Does that make right. sense? Right. Yes. Yeah. You'd have a you'd have a youth pastor, so you'd have a pastor that was their job was to look after or minister to the youth. Um, you'd have a kids pastor, a worship pastor, different pastors to look over different sections of the church. And the idea was that the church was so big that you needed lots of different pastors to take care of all the different moving parts. And what was your role before you left? At the time that we left, um, Jesse was the campus pastor, was the campus pastor uh, of an area. So like we would go and lead a service on a Sunday, but if there was any pastoral care or anything happening in our you know, the suburbs that we were given to look after. So is that counselling, giving a sermon? Counselling, giving a sermon, but more of it, it ended up being more a logistical role. So what we tended to do more was organise things for the service to happen in that area 
on a Sunday okay. while looking after other people, getting people to build teams. So like, you know, getting people to build a kids team or a youth team or a music team or doing those kinds of things. Right. Like a like a manager. You're just managing like a manager. An yeah. And and we loved the people and, and a lot of the work was was beautiful when you got to do it with all these beautiful souls that we loved connecting with. Um, and that was great. But at the end of the day, it was a whole lot of hard work, um, which is, we love hard work. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> love hard work. We work really hard um, ourselves still. Um, but we, you know, I, I suppose we had moved on so much spiritually or I had moved on so much spiritually that I couldn't see that the hard work I was putting in that I was getting out of it or that my hard work was producing, you know, what it should have. And at that stage, what do you think it should have produced? I mean, now I would say, you know, if you're a pastor or if you're working with people spiritually, your work should produce people who, um, who are coming home to themselves, people who feel like they uh, healing and being healed, that they're showing mm. up to their own lives, that they're mm. taking responsibility for themselves, mm. that they're owning their bodies healing and their people. hearts and their minds, you know, that, that kind of thing, that mm. we're helping people be in the world. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest problems in society is people find it really hard to be in the world mm. as their true selves mm -hmm. um, and reconcile all the things that happened to them. But I think our role really became about putting on... Um, and upholding uh, a service that I think, like, don't get me wrong, I think the people who do those things and are still there and are still pastors, they want the they want healing and health and wholeness for people yeah. too. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But I just I did not find, and particularly for my own life, when I needed it most, I didn't get it out of church myself. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um. Mm. And yeah. Seems that your worldview and your understanding of God might have changed somewhat out of this like dark night of the soul sort of thing it's like you went through this traumatic experience and now you have a different theology and then you left so yeah you yeah. left you quit your jobs so you weren't fired you quit your jobs and you thought oh we'll be back at church we just need a break what, yeah what changed then once yeah you, like how come you didn't go break. back how come yeah. you didn't go back yeah um we took a break we and, and this, this would be, I know what we did wasn't right, so I'm not trying to glamorize it. But um, we said that, you know, we need a break. We're going to take some time off. Um, but when we took that time off, we, you know, I, we went away on holidays. We drove down to Jesse's family and like on the way down in the car, it was an eight-hour car trip. It was like, you know, when you're weightlifting or holding something up for such a long time and you let it go, and then you realise how sore you were and oh, how hard right. it was. Right. And it kind of felt like that. It just felt like it felt like the wheels coming off, a, you know, a really fast-moving train and um, every, our, it, everything just imploded. I, don't, I can't say it any other way than just saying we're driving down that freeway and we were just like pretty much, holy shit, I don't think we believe anything anymore. Right. Um, wow. And what are we going to do? And then we just started to unpick. And you yeah. mean anything like doctrinally? A lot of things doctrinally, like a lot of things like um, particularly uh, particularly around, it's just, this might sound like it's out of, um, you know, I don't know, that it, 
sort of a bit weird, but particularly around LGBTQ mm -hmm. issues right. Yeah. right before we left, um, you know, we were asked to, uh, if there's any LGBTQ people watching, this could be triggering and I'm really sorry. I love you and I think you're holy and amazing. But we were asked to handle some situations in a particular way that we just were like, we can't do this anymore. We can't uphold right. this anymore. Because yeah. the church's position obviously is like no gay marriage, all that kind of things. And you had to kind of back that position because that was your job and, and it didn't sit right with you. Yeah. Not right at all and had it for many, many years. And, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, LGBTQ people in our lives that we just, it's not an issue. Um, so, you know, that was, we were talking about that. Like, we don't want to be, how can we be a part of something that says they're for everybody, but they're clearly not for everybody. Um, it's as simple as that. And then, you know, just one thought led to another thought led to another thought. And I mean, before that, we'd been reading Rob Bell and Richard Raw. And um, it, all these beautiful ideas. And it, it seemed every time we'd have a question or have a thought about like, um, what if we didn't have to live this way anymore? And I mean, I grew up in the church every single Sunday. I had my bum on the freaking front row. So not even somewhere in church, but on the front row <laughs> with somebody I was related to ministering or doing something. And um, for me, I was like, what, what would it look like if my life didn't look like that anymore? And it was very confronting and terrifying. But, you know, we just kept on asking the questions and we kept on following that bouncing ball. So was that something that you and, and Jesse were, were doing together? Like it was obviously something that you were both at working through at the same sort of pace. <laughs> Is that right? Or was it not oh, so man. much? I'd, I'd love... Not so much. I'd love to hear him say this, uh, to, for him to be here and, and, and speak to this. But, you know, I think his deconstruction was a lot more violent than mine in oh. the sense uh, for him it was a lot more, you know, I, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but it was very disruptive. It took me, I'm a slow burn. So I'm like, oh, I don't know that we should go to church and I think we should and I think maybe we can and and Jesse was just like, nah. I can't, I'm, I'm hurt, right. I've got to think about it, I'm processing, mm -hmm. I'm doing these things and I'm just like, oh, well, what am I going to do? And I was a little bit more airy-fairy <laughs> right. okay. with my Enneagram fauness in processing <laughs> my deconstruction. Yeah. And, you know, even now we're, we're totally not on the same page spiritually, but back then that was really intimidating to me. I thought, can no. I, what's our relationship going to look like if I believe in Jesus and he doesn't or if he believes in Jesus mm. and I don't or if he wants to go to church and I don't or vice versa, how are we right. going to make that work? And I think now that I, I know our work is to work on ourselves so we can be healthy when we interact with other people, I don't think it really matters what Jesse believes. I think, you know, my business is my business and if I can look after my own health and present you know, my own health to my partner and I can trust my partner to do the same with me. We don't need to be on the same page spiritually. And actually it's kind of really refreshing to not have my echo chamber supported everywhere I go, you know, and I, it's frustrating as well because often he'll be like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe what you've written. And I'm like, well, F you, I believe what I've written. So we have some really interesting, you know, back and forth about it. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think okay. we're so much more free to be who we really are now. I don't know if that answers your question. Wow. Mm. So you, uh, what do you think it was then? Do, was it once you were free from that obligation of, of 
the position towing of the being line. towing the party line. Yeah. Was that what you think held back all these doubts that you suddenly had and suddenly you went, well, now that, that You're thing's free gone, to question. Yeah. all these questions, it's actually okay to ask. And yeah. then once that began to tumble, suddenly you went, well, now I'm completely not in line and, and then you decided then not not to go back to church. Yeah, I, yep. <laughs> yes. Okay. I think it was, well, you guys know about sunk cost bias, right? So I'd yeah. sunk my whole life into the church and I had, I had so much of that involved in the church. And look, I right. will say, and I will admit it right now, if Jesse hadn't decided not to go back to church, like if he'd gone back, I probably would have at that point in my life wow. gone back as well um and you know who knows where we would have ended up um but i think jesse just saying and he said to me you go back if you want but i'm not going back and i could have taken myself Mm -hmm. but he gave me the permission i needed at that time in my life to explore the idea of what not going back to church would look like for Mm me and what that would do to my belief and i just allowed myself um to follow that idea and are so, you speaking specifically about the church you went to or are you even saying maybe not going no. back to any church? Any church. Look, and I don't have anything against the church that I was involved in. Um, and like I've said a few times before, I think it's beautiful and it works for some people and it's great. Well, it did hurt you and I think that's okay to pull out. Absolutely. And it, I personally did not have a good experience yeah. in the church. But like we've toyed with the idea of going back to the general global church and I just, it, I don't know that I need it. I don't know what purpose it would serve in my life right now. I have good community. I've got good friends. Um, we are doing work on ourselves that we've never been able to do before. Um, we're happier than we've ever been. Our relationship is healthier than it's ever been. Like I just don't know what it, I don't feel any desire, any inclination, any conviction to go back. So that's that's interesting. Is it I'm wondering if it is a byproduct of the fact that you were so entrenched in terms of like you saw how the sausage was made. Like you right were in the, back end. the ones that were <laughs> making the sausage. Yeah, you were doing the legwork. And so is is that an element of your desire not to partake because you're like well i've seen both sides of it i've seen like i grew up in it and then now i started working in it and now it doesn't make as much sense to me anymore that i've stepped out of it and looked back into it i can see that in on some levels it it harmed more than it helped me would that be sort of yeah that's a that's a good question overall when you just do an economics cost-benefit analysis when you look at your time in the church, how (laughs) would you... It might not be the best tool to use. Or return on investment, maybe. Return on investment. (laughs) Like, when you look back, overall, are you glad you went through it? Do you regret being in the church? Do you think it was helpful or ultimately more harmful than helpful? Oh, look, I've been through all of those those all of those Everything. places I've been through raging anger like I've wasted my life I've wasted my 20s and my early 30s in this institution and I was extremely angry at that for a very long time um, mm. but I've had to for my own healing I've had to forgive that idea I've had to forgive that anger I've had to forgive those years and I'm learning that you know um, really I think that um, you know 
uh, I've had to really land at a place where I've had to be grateful for those years and I've had to go, you know what, there's going to be something that I can pull from those years. And I mean, I found, I met Jesse in the church. I've made great friends in the church. I've, I've had great experiences in the church. And if I just focus on the negative, then I will stay bitter. So, you know, it's a discipline to try and find the light and, you know, include that in the story as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I find I don't I don't actually when I'm listening to you, I don't actually hear someone who is bitter or angry no. or even uh like reg- that regretful of of their time in the church, but I like I thank you for sharing the your experience with it and how when I when I listen to you talk, I'm hearing a critique of a system that caused a lot of yeah. harm, a system that limited uh, your ability to do certain things, a system that couldn't yeah. support people in helping you when trauma was so big. And and the trauma almost brought you to a point that pushed you out of that system. And it's like that you, you're able to separate the system from the church almost yeah like, or the people who yes. are within the church yeah the community you know, because i guess it sounds like you recognize people are also a byproduct of of the system they're within they are of their system and and their environment and look that's like we're talking a six-year journey here yeah. we didn't leave last week yeah so um it's it's been a very long and and pain, like some of it's been painful a lot of it's been really really beautiful yeah. um but that's taken a really long time and it's been a definite choice you know i've and i've heard people you know doing the work that i do um and being available to a lot of these conversations that are happening all over the world there are a lot of people who are really bitter and really anger angry mm-hmm. and i just decided that i didn't want that for my yeah. life um I, I wanted something more joyful. So that's yeah. that's the path that I've chosen. Tell us what you're doing now then. What what has this led you to do? Because yeah. it, you're talking about the friends you have, you're yeah. more happy, you're more open, you're you have more joy, you have uh you're really happy with where you are now. What are you doing yeah. now that you feel like church isn't really there's almost no room for it now because yeah. you seem to have community. You seem to be growing spiritually. What are you doing now? Well, my work um, does a lot of it. Like I'm privileged in the sense that what I do for work is I write daily um, spiritual posts. So we, we've mm-hmm. created this online community called The Practice Co. And the whole idea is to help people forge their own spiritual path. So if I'm doing that as my job, um, I have this privileged position of being able to use myself as a guinea pig for a lot of the, the you know, spiritual truths and, and journeys that we go on. But meditation has actually been a huge, we were talking about this the other day, Conrad, but meditation's actually been a really huge game changer for me um, in my own spiritual journey and dropping the idea that prayer is getting God on my side and prayer is just being open to God in in me and through me and around me and so every day I try and be aware of consciousness and every day I try to um, be true to my own self which sounds so woo-woo and if I'd heard somebody say that 10 (laughs) years ago when I was a pastor in a church I just would have been oh my gosh they're so iffy and going nowhere but now I think having a daily practice of some kind whatever that is for you whatever wakes you up and gets you moving and gets you wakes like yeah wakes you up and makes you aware of your body your spirit 
and your sense of being in the world is a spiritual practice that you should stick to or you should follow until it changes into something Mm. else. And, you know, for me at the moment, it's walking, it's um, meditative prayer, like that prayer of being open and aware. Um, You know, it's I've completely deconstructed how I view the Bible. So now when I look at spiritual texts and not just the biblical texts, but other kind of holy texts from other religions and other um, faith traditions, you know, when you lean on the stories and the truths of others, I I look at those things differently now and that, that's really helped my journey as well. Um, right. It hasn't been a whole lot of, you know, one thing. You know, I've just swapped church for this. But I would say find something every day that wakes you up, that gets you moving, that fills your heart with aliveness and do that until it no longer serves you and then pursue what the next thing that's going to make you know, do thing. that for you. Yeah. Well, what would you say, yeah. and I'm, I'm trying to channel my inner skeptic here. <laughs> what would you say then? Because a lot of people <laughs> might hear that when you say like you're, you're following what leads you to more life, more peace, um, doing what is yeah. working and then letting go what isn't. What would you say to someone that's saying, oh, well, yeah. you're, just, you're just doing what you want then. You're reading what you want into the scriptures. You're, you're not picking up the cross yeah. and carrying yeah, you're, it. Yeah, you're kind of going your own way it. instead yeah. of God's way. What would be your general response to a, a, something like that? It's actually really, it's a, it's a, again, there's a lot of nuance to that because mm-hmm. somebody who says that to you, they have a very narrow idea of what they believe to be true. So right. nobody says that to you in a way to find out. They say right. it to you as a judgment. Uh, they it's say not it a curiosity you a, thing. You're yeah. not doing the right thing. It's not a curiosity thing. So when people say it to me in a judgmental way, I'm just like, hey, that's okay. We can agree to disagree. Love you, grace, grace, whatever. Let's not even bother. Mm. Um, But I think for people who, because I know there was a time when I was trying to decide, should I be in church? Should I not be in church? Am I a woman gone wrong? Am I a heretic? Am I going to hell? I think um, what I would say to people is, yeah, you choose. Yeah, you get to choose. Yes, you get to interpret the scriptures the way that you interpret them because that's the way they were written. (laughs) That's the way our Jewish mothers and fathers wrote these stories. When you discover, like I remember studying parables and and coming across the idea that a parable doesn't have any one meaning. A parable can mean a hundred different things. And so the, the trick is to come to the parable or to come to the text with your whole self, with your whole life and go, okay, How are you going to present yourself to me today? What truth can I find in you today? Not what is the truth that is in the scriptures. It's a very malleable um, text that we get to play with. That's how it was written. That's how it was freaking designed. And so when people are like, oh my gosh, you're just reading the Bible any which way you want. I'm like, heck yeah, I am. I was created unique or I, I was born into the world unique. There is nobody like me. There's nobody who was brought up like me. There's nobody who's going to have my um, lens or set of experiences. Of course, I'm going to see the scriptures different. It's such a stupid, um, you know, when you think about it that way. So stupid is probably a very strong word. It's such a um, linear way of seeing it. Like, yes, I get to to look at the scriptures the way that I look at them. And I also get to decide what I do with my own goddamn life. Nobody gets to have that responsibility except for me. And so when people say, oh, you know, you're just a law unto yourself, I'm like, well, heck yeah, we all are. 
we all need to take responsibility for our own lives. And a lot of modern Western Christianity, sorry, I'm getting preachy, but a lot of modern Western Christianity is um, delegating out your spirituality to somebody else to decide for you. We go to church on Sunday and we're like, okay, what should I believe? This is what you should believe. Okay, yep, I'm going to put that in the system. Ding, 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 tick, tick, tick. I'm a Christian. And we're actually outsourcing our own spiritual progress and our own spiritual work in the world. And I think, yeah, you need to be taking responsibility for your own spiritual life. So I've got no problem. Like, I think it's a real paradigm shift when people come to me and they say, you know, and they do not too often, but they do, you know, you're reading into scripture and you just allure unto yourself. I'm like, well, actually, that's what I believe we should be doing. And um, I don't actually see any problem with that. And by default, you're then saying that, the people who might say, well, you're a law unto yourself. I am not. It sounds like you're saying, no, no. You, you are. are. You just don't see You've it. You've <laughs> just delegated the you law are. unto yeah. yourself yeah. to a system, yeah. to, a doctr- yeah. to a doctrinal to a church. To yeah. A, yeah. And that may, and once again, yeah. it can sound like a bad thing, but that may not be a bad thing at all. I personally delegate my knowledge on climate change Two scientific bodies yeah. of scientists. Climate scientists. I do delegate that. <laughs> oh, look. Right. I do so too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not yeah. necessarily too, 100%. a bad or a good thing, but you're saying what you're enjoying now is taking on that that personal responsibility for your own spiritual growth. And, yeah. it, and do you, it, it sounds like yeah. you still read the Bible. You still use a lot of Christian language. Are you still very much in that, in that real house? Um, look, I try not to use a whole lot of Christian language. And I think um, when I'm doing my, when I'm writing, uh, you know, what I do with the practice co, I try to steer real clear of Christian language. Um, it's not helpful, I don't think. And like we talked about at the beginning, it's a label. And so people will think one thing when they hear uh-huh. right. a word that you might not necessarily mean um, when you're using that word. Yeah, so it's just too limiting for you in for what you're trying to communicate. Yeah, you avoid yeah. words that might give someone a preconceived idea before they've heard you out completely. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think why not be simp- like why not simplify it as much as you can? We don't need to complicate it. We don't need to use crazy language to, you know, express something that can be, you know, done in simpler terms. Yeah, sure. So how do people see you now? How do you, how do the people who you may have journeyed from, how do they see you now? I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, you hear things along the way and I would like to think that people, uh, love us and think we're really cool and really awesome um, but I do think a lot of people would see us as a lost cause because here we are we were these pastors and mm. we had a lot of love and we were doing good things apparently and now we don't go to church at all what a tragedy but mm. then a lot of people really love that um, without being egotistical I think a lot of people really love that we're just being real with our faith and we're just mm-hmm. like you know what this is what we do and this is who we are and I don't I don't I'm trying really hard not to give a shit about mm-hmm. what other people think about my journey because I think yeah. for a long time that's why I stayed in a toxic environment because I was right. so scared about the backlash and now right. I'm just trying to not care because right. that <laughs> backlash so will be there anyway and you don't want it to I guess impact your journey yeah and um, your growth and development yeah yeah and i'm just i'm too old for that now how do you (laughs) see them you might have already half answered this but how do you see them oh that is such a challenging question (laughs) um (laughs) 
And look, I hope they don't give a shit what I think as well. But, um, you know, there is a part of me that is really sad about that experience. And I think yeah. when you're a part of something, you look back and you're, they are still locked in the memories, you know, who right. you think of them today is who they were five or six years ago. Right. And Ooh, you know, a lot of yeah. the time, yeah, a lot of the time I, I still think of people in those terms and I catch myself, you know, ah. throwing judgment and mm. you know, being a bit shady and, and all of that sort of stuff. But I honestly just, if they leave me alone, <laughs> like if they're <laughs> like, you be you, Liz, I'll be like, you be you and just do what works for you. I just hope that wherever people land, they're healthy and they're whole and they're loving and enjoying their lives um, mm-hmm. to the full. But, yeah, look, I'm, I'm a human being. I, I struggle with the, mm. the judgment just as much as anybody else. Well, I like so. that, that distinction you've pulled out is that as time moves on, so do people. The person you are five years, eight years later is not the person you were five years ago, eight years ago. So when you think back to, yeah. the, to the hurtful, traumatic times, there, there is a part of someone you remember, but that, you know, odds are they're not that person yeah, anymore necessarily. So that, well. that yeah. makes judgment even more difficult if it wasn't yeah. harder enough to justify at this stage <laughs> yeah. already. Already, uh, yeah. One, one yeah. of our maybe final questions, are you a heretic? <laughs> Look, no, of course I'm not. I, I think, well, I, no. I think heresy is a fallacy anyway. I, oh. I don't think there are heretics. Tell me about I that. I just think there are people doing their best. I just think there are people doing their best to live as true as they can and to unravel their trauma and their pain and make sense of it all and and make meaning with their lives. And if that rubs some people the wrong way in terms of belief and doctrine and dogma and code, like they're not, those things aren't, those things aren't real things. Mm -hmm. Those things are just things we've decided are things and we can decide that they're not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You're saying that the, the term heretic is... Yeah. is a construct created by the person using the term. I use this yeah. all the time because Cam and I are always, when, you, when you're looking yeah. at the fake news 100%. world of yeah. what's right and what's wrong, someone will always say, I'll be like, oh, yeah. well, here are some stats. And they'll just go, oh, that's biased. And I've come to just go, when most people use the term bias, they generally mean not what I think. That's yeah. the synonym that yeah. they're really using it for. So it sounds like heretic is like, yeah. when I call you a heretic, all I'm really saying is I don't agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I don't identify with yeah. your belief But I'm structure. trying to grasp at some more yeah. objective exactly. reality yeah. to say I'm more right than you yeah. and here's a, a tool or a mechanism yeah. for me to throw at you to, to bolster my claim of being more right. It's still a, a tribal, there's yeah. still a tribal is, element it? to it. It's, it's from yeah. tribalism. Yeah. Isn't it? There is, yeah. definitely. And it, look, it worked really well a long time ago when you could call someone a heretic and, and actually evict them from the community or even uh, you know get yes. them killed. Yeah. But these days, you know, when we're living with people of different tribes right next door all the time, mm. I think we need to let down those ideas and those constructs mm. and just let people be. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't actually uh, like, and this is where it might be a bit controversial, but I don't actually see Jesus being the kind of person that would pull someone up as a heretic because they go to church or not. I think yeah. for them, for him, um, you know, the lines of judgment come more down. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. But I think it's more about how we treat each other and ourselves and the mm. earth. I think they're the things that we really need to pay attention to. Mm. And like Buddhists and Muslims and atheists and Christians can all treat each other well. I, I think that, that there is an 
are a universalist touch to love and to connection and to being with one another and and to a point we do really well to stop putting up these dogmas and creeds that you can only be right if you use this certain label and we should start saying hey we can all live really well together if we connect with each other and and our deep true selves and we show compassion and empathy and love and kindness to each other and so I don't I don't think I'm a heretic and look I don't know that many people would call me a heretic but um it'd be it'd be pretty funny if they did I think. <laughs> well I mean it it sounds like f- from listening to you there's this there's this just continual strand of just some some things that aren't controversial I mean no one would disagree with the pursuit of love of openness acceptance and, and of all of yeah. all of these sorts of things so so there's that level where it isn't really controversial um, and it and you do identify on like to some in some situations in to some people you might use the word Christian Oh, look, absolutely. Look, I've decided this. And I, I heard somebody else say it. I can't, just can't remember who. It might have even been Rob Bell. But Uh-oh. it's the tradition I grew up in. It's um, <laughs> I grew up in Christianity. It's in my blood. Like, I could evict it from my life if I wanted to. But right. why bother? Like, it's the story it's you the come from. the way that I'm living. And the, it's the story that I come from. It's in me. It's like I still draw a whole heap of life and inspiration and direction mm. from the Christian tradition, so to speak. Um, that like, yeah, I do. I will own the word. So You still get some value from it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But I don't discount other people's spiritual roots either. So uh-huh. that's probably where a lot of Christians would differ from me. I'm like, the, the Christian tradition is the one where I found God. So where's the tradition okay. where, you know, you might have found God differently. So yeah. you've let go of the ideas of exclusivity to your truth yeah. and opened up to the idea that you still get value yeah. from Christianity, but also maybe there's also value outside of that religious framework. Well, how long do you want to talk for? Because <laughs> the, the, issue, <laughs> the issue isn't Christianity. If Christians really believe that God is who they say God is, then I think more of them would agree. Because if we're saying that God is outside time, outside gender, outside all of these different things, that God is bigger and wider and more fuller than we could even comprehend with our human minds, then how can we exist within a a tradition that wants to confine him to the one thing? You know, I think... um, People bump into God all over the place in many different ways, in many corners of the world, in many different traditions. And we're all bumping into the same God, the same essence of love and life and um, energy. We just might have different labels and different ways of of connecting in or, or, you know, different stories that we've told about our connection with with this being of energy that we call God. And so... Some ideas I keep, I'm very familiar with the Christian tradition and I hear a lot that no one would disagree with no matter how fundamental or conservative you are. It sounds like you have maybe a different emphasis and you've gone, no, no, if God is bigger than I can imagine, if God is infinite, if God is everywhere, it sounds like that's what you're really like kind of maybe emphasized 
like and taken seriously and then going well if that's true then even my tribe is too small even my culture is too small even me as a person is too small and i can't i can't hold that claim to exclusivity if Mm -hmm. it is bigger than i can imagine it sounds like it and that's not i don't like i keep saying i don't think it's very controversial your emphasis on love, on peace, on joy, no, and on I like, don't think it is the either. bigness of what yeah. you would call no. God, yeah. and that's that's the thing, that's the hard part because individually you could get every single Christian around the world yeah. to sign on, to sign on, but to that, when yeah. you put it all together, something, or when you make it um, more tangible, it's like, no, now we actually have to take care of Jesse and and Liz because of mm. the situation that they've gone through. All of a sudden, like before, you were saying, no. Nah, there's no time for that. We don't have time in our organisation to care for you. Mm. And so it's like when the rubber meets the road. That's because it circles back to a building with four walls that we want bums and seats on Sunday because we believe that's the true mark of a tradition that's winning or a tradition that's doing good work. And, um, and I, for me, that's where the schism is. That's where this disconnection came about for me was if we are all about love, well, why can't we take our time with people? Why, why does it need to be this big production? Um, and I'm not just talking about a service, but the pomp and the heart, like the everything's got to be happy all the time and everything's got to be amazing all the time and loud and, and like we can exist with each other in the world without this. But because it all circles back to this, uh, in my, this is, yeah, in, I will own it. In my opinion, because we have to prop up an institution, we can say everybody's included. But when it comes to paying the bills, getting the word out, getting the job done, not everybody can be included. You know what I mean? So um, that's why I'm really happy. I'm really, really happy. And the, the practice co, what we do with the practice co, like Jesse and I have been approached, I can't tell you how many times since leaving the church. When are you going to start a church? When are you going to you know, put, and we're just not interested at all. I love doing spirituality with people on this level. And I mean, even um, talking about money, um, (laughs) I love creating a product for somebody that's really upfront. This is how much it costs. This is what you're going to get rather than um, being a part of a system where there's this idea of giving and miracle givings and we're getting mansions in heaven and we're doing all of this stuff like the money money's a big deal for me in that sense what we choose to do with that area um, for me personally is a big deal and and will make decisions for me like will help me make a choice about you know the the thing that I draw out from your experience is that you were in a system that said one thing and you were really involved with it. You were really participating in it. You created it and, and were an integral part of making the services happen. And you noticed that the things that were being said didn't line up. No one would openly admit at these churches that it's all about filling the pews. No one would say that's their mission. But over your time and your experience there, you went, you know what? That's the culture. This is speaking yeah. louder to me yeah. than what is being said. And and that ultimately really caused some damage for you personally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a fair, fair thing to say. <laughs> Okay, good. Well, the neat little bow. We'll yeah. tie that yeah. off just there. Um, 
So if if you're listening to this conversation and you've tuned in live on Instagram, we've got a, a few people watching. Um, if you if you have a different experience, if you disagree, if you are challenged by it, that's totally that's totally fine. Mm. We are here to explore ideas. So if yeah. if if you agree or disagree, who really cares? Mm. Hopefully, you understand Liz's journey, where she came from, and yeah. why why and how she ended up where she is. And yeah. hopefully, we've been able to convey. You might not agree with maybe the doctrine or the yeah. things like that, but hopefully, we've somehow brought across how these new ideas and how the way Liz operates now, how it actually helps her and serves her. If you have any questions, you can send them through the DMs. Liz is starting or you're launching. Have you launched the Practice Co yet? Uh, we, yeah, we have. We've got a, an app and um, all socials and website all under the brand, the Practice Co. So the app's live now. The app's live now, yeah. We, I, when we were speaking about it earlier, we've had the app for quite some time, but we yeah. are putting meditations in the app um, and that's so I can coming. Just, I could just buy it right now. You can. You right. can. You can subscribe. It's a, it's oh, on a subscription yeah. basis. So, yeah. That's okay, cool. You cool, can cool, subscribe cool. to the app. And if, if people want to get in touch with you, they can find you on Instagram, Lizzie me. Milani. But yep. she prefers to go by Liz, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I search her out on the practice code. Yep, the practice code. <laughs> and if you have any questions for us, any ideas that you would like us to talk about, you can send us a DM at Ideas Digest or an email, ideasdigest at gmail.com. If you have iTunes, give us a rate and review. Yes. Only five stars. Four, yes. get lost. <laughs> five, if you've got a spare moment, write a few words. It yeah. helps us a lot. We've got yeah. quite a few. I was actually impressed when yeah, I saw yeah. So yeah. keep them coming in. Uh, this podcast will be up on Shortly. podcast form. Give it yeah. two weeks. I think we've got a few to release beforehand. Yeah. Thank you so much, Liz, uh, for taking for the time to talk us, being so Vulnerability, open. Vulnerability, all of those things. You've been <laughs> more than generous with us. So we really appreciate it. I don't oh, think you come across as bitter you. and jaded. No, I I'm don't sure think no you're a heretic. Well, I am, I am going to go drink wine now, though. So. Oh, oh, well, I've lost. You've <laughs> lost great. me. That's it. You Don't, don't you dare. Okay. <laughs>